let's continue on in our First Corinthians series that we've been calling The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, the Good and the Bad and the Ugly is, is kind of a good description of this church in the city of Corinth that Paul was writing to, the Apostle Paul, uh, because it was a church that, like all churches, had some good qualities, and like, uh, uh, like most churches, had some bad qualities, and hopefully, unlike, unlike most churches, had some really ugly qualities to it as well. We've kind of started... Uh, digging through some of those uh, ugly issues that that church was dealing with that Paul is very frank about. And so last week we started talking a little bit about, uh, we're in chapter 7, if you want to flip over there, chapter 7 of, of 1 Corinthians, and we, we hit the first half of that chapter, where we're kind of talking about some principles of marriage and stuff, and then we're going to hit the last half of that uh, chapter this week, where Paul devotes a, a lot of time to just the issues of, the issue of singleness, of being single. Um, and so it, this is great. It's so good. I, I love this. I, honestly, as soon as I started outlining the sermon series, when I hit this passage, I think it's, this is the week that I was most excited about in the whole series because as I was reading it, I think it struck me in a way that it has never really struck me before in that like Paul does something really unique when he addresses the, uh, the issue of singleness in the kingdom of God that I don't think many of us as churches have done a good job of over, um, you know, at least over my lifetime, and I would venture to say probably over the life of the church, in that Paul lifts singleness high. He lifts it high. He has a lot of great things to say about singleness. And I think if, if you're a person going through the typical church experience, you would say, you would probably see that What tends to happen is we lift marriage high. Now, it's not that it's a competition between single single life and married life, but let's just be faithful to what Scripture says. And Paul really lifts this high, and so that's what we're going to do this morning and and kind of dive into what he does there. Now, a lot of times we put people into two different categories. They're either married or they're single. And I actually think there's kind of three categories. There's married and there's single and, and then I'd say there's a third category of, of people that, are, that we pr- could probably call not yet married. Because statistically speaking, most people will get married at some point over the course of their life. Not everybody, but most. And so where, where, what do you do when you're in that period of time where you're a Christ follower, you, you're, you're you know, discovering your role in God's kingdom, and you're not yet married? That's something that God has placed in your heart that you want for yourself, and you pray that maybe that'll happen someday. Uh, but for now, that's not the case, and, and so, you know, so we're going to kind of talk through some of that. But this whole idea of, of kind of married and single life, I think that the church has done such a great disservice because we fall kind of in lockstep with our, uh, with our society, with our culture, which has this, um, I, don't care, I don't know if you've noticed it, sarcasm font, um, <laughs> but we lift high romance, we lift high sexuality, and we lift high marriage, and we lift high, like, if you honestly look at the way we talk, and the way, and I'm talking even in the context of church life, the way we talk about marriage, the way we talk about romance, the way we promote it in media and everything else, that our, the God that we worship probably higher than any other God in our culture, would be the God of romance. I mean, we lift that ridiculously high. Ridiculously high. 
And we, we, we like it. You've heard me. I've been picking on Disney princesses lately, and I'm going to do it again. But um, we, 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 we do this thing where, like, the highest ideal that we can think of for a person is that they find their prince. They find their princess. That, that everything just kind of works out okay. And, I mean, I mean, you look at, like, like, okay, let me pick on Disney a little bit. I, I'm, not, I'm not an anti-Disney person. I love Disney, especially since they got Star Wars. You know, I'm all for Disney now. And so, but there's, you know, like, you look at some of those, those stories. The Little Mermaid was one of my favorite. You want to know a dirty little secret about your pastor? I probably shouldn't tell you this. Well, anyway, The Little Mermaid was my makeout movie. I took a lot of girls to go see The Little Mermaid when I was a senior. And, and I, I was, there was some good making out going on to The Little Mermaid. But anyway, um, so, so, but The Little Mermaid, a movie that, that I used to really love. I'll just throw that out there. I don't know why. That was, that was for free. Okay. So, <laughs> the, the Little Mermaid is this movie where um, the moral of the story is if you disobey your dad, everything works out great. That's literally the moral of that story. Try to find me a different moral. It's not there. Give up your voice for a man. That's great. Like, like it, it's the story-wise, it's a great movie. It's got good music, all that kind of stuff. But story-wise, moral-wise, it's ridiculous. It, and it's just such a, 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 another example of how high we lift up this notion of romantic love as if that is the highest ideal of, our, of all of our lives and everything about Scripture tells us differently. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you really believe Jesus is who he says he, he is, and if you really have <coughs> pardon me, <coughs> committed yourself to submitting your life to the authority of the God that we find in the word. If you, if you are that kind of person, then you have to kind of dig in there and learn how to weed out how culture has influenced us in a negative way and, and, and get to where scripture tells us is the great and beautiful pattern for our lives that God has given us. And scripture tells us that there, we do have something that will bring us our greatest joy and our highest sense of purpose and all of that. And we'll find out about that in Scripture. But spoiler alert, it's not romantic love. It's just not. Now, I know that's really disappointing for some of you. For some of you, you're like, you're, you, you, just, you just like shattered my whole paradigm for life. Because what, what, what could there be higher in this world than to have somebody who, who loves you unconditionally. And you're right. The most beautiful thing in the world is to be loved by somebody unconditionally. But guess what? Your husband can't do that, and your wife can't do that. You're like, Jeff, I'm getting ready to leave this room. <laughs> just wait. Let's just see what Paul says. I'm going to let him argue my argument for you. So let me take a quick drink <coughs> of... Uh, green tea that is primarily high fructose corn syrup. <clears throat> it is sweet. It is that. <clears throat> All right. So he says this in verse 25 of chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> Pardon me. He says, now, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of read through this. I'm going to unpack a few little words here and there so we're, we're kind of on the same page, and then we'll talk about it when I'm done. But uh, now concerning the betrothed is where he starts. So let me, let me first hit that word betrothed. This word betrothed either can mean one of two things. It can mean 
uh, back in this day, you know, when Paul's writing this, and, and uh, even in some, still in some areas of the world today, like India and other places, uh, marriages were arranged when children were very young, sometimes even infants. Marriages were arranged. And so you, ha- you were betrothed or promised to someone uh, to marry that person at a later date. And so it can mean that. It can also mean the same word is often used to just refer to people who are of a marrying age. So young single people, so to speak, okay? So it can mean either one of those. And I think throughout this passage, it, it, it can mean both at different points. So he says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. Now, we talked about this last week, how he's not saying this isn't from God. He's just saying Jesus didn't specifically teach us about this. So let me fill in some gaps for you. That's what he's saying, okay? I have no command from the Lord, but I give my, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy, mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress... It's good for a person to remain as he is, okay? Now, this present distress uh, probably refers to a couple of different things. One, the, um, just kind of the times that they were living in when, if you were a Christ follower, persecution was a natural part of your life. The other thing is that historians will tell us that during the time that Paul wrote this letter, uh, and even some of the other letters that he writes uh, allude to this as well, there was a massive famine going on all over that part of the world. Massive. I mean, people were starving left and right. It was a big, big, like, you know, you, you know how some of the natural disasters have been the biggest story this, you know, over the last few months in our news. For them, over the, that, that period of time for a few years, the famine was all anybody talked about, all right? So he says, because of this, uh, in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. So he's not saying marriage is is sinful, okay? He wants to get that out of the way quickly. And he says, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Okay. So before we move on, he says, those who marry would have worldly troubles. Who here has heard that verse read at a wedding? <laughs> that would be a great verse to read at a wedding, wouldn't it? I might do that at my next wedding. That'd be good. All right, 29, verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. Okay, now this is, I'm going to unpack this a little bit because this is kind of confusing. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So what in the world is he talking about there? If you, don't have, a, if you have a wife, live as if you don't have one. Like that just seems like a recipe for disaster. I don't care who you are, right? And so what he's, I think what's, what he's actually doing, I think he's very intentionally kind of... Um, pulling some allusions or alluding to some, some stories that Jesus told. So you remember that there was a story uh, where we, we hear about Jesus where a man came up to him and, um, and said, you know, he wanted to follow him or, or, or Christ call, you know, challenged him to follow him. He said, but yeah, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus' response was, let the dead bury the dead. In other words, Jesus was like, we've reached this point where there is something of greater priority. Okay. Jesus also tells a story of, of, of a man who sent out invitations to a big feast and, and he got, started getting ex- excuses back from people why they couldn't, uh, why they couldn't attend. One, one guy said, I've married a wife and I can't, I can't come. Another guy said, um, I've, I've bought a piece of land and I've got to go check it out. And Jesus' whole point in that story was 
there, there has come a point in the kingdom of God now where there, there is something more important than all of that. And Paul, I think, alludes back to those things that Jesus was talking about. And he's not saying, get married and then ignore your wife. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, there is something, if you're a Christ follower, there's something now in your life that takes priority and precedence over everything else in your life. In fact, everything about your life, your marriage, your job, the way you buy and shop for things, your, the way you mourn certain things that you should be mourning, the way, you know, all this kind of stuff should be centered now around the, the prime thing that it is about your life, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's not saying get married and ignore your wife. He's saying you need to know that when, as a person who is married to another person, your God is not your husband. Your God is not your wife. You have a God. You have a purpose. You are part of a different kingdom now. You're a new creation, and your priorities have now shifted. Okay? You're going to continue to glorify God in your marriage. You're going to continue to glorify God in the way that you shop and buy things. You're going to continue to glorify God even in the way that you mourn the loss of something meaning or someone meaningful to you. That's all going to continue to happen, but it all focuses now on the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your life is not the end of everything, the be-all, end-all. Right? Does that make sense? All right. Regardless, we're moving on. Okay, 32. 32, he says this, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. 36. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's no sin. Okay? So he's, he's saying, you know, hey, it, it, I'm not saying stay single to the detriment of your soul. You know, if, if, if you know that your passions are, are crazy and, and you can't keep yourself pure as a single man or a single woman, then by all means, go ahead and get married. And there's no sin in that, okay? He says, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well and he who refrains from marriage will do even better, Okay. So again, here, here he, he lays out this really, I don't know if you've ever really noticed what he's saying in that particular passage I just read, but he, he lays out this beautiful pattern for what if you remain betrothed to somebody, in other words, connected with that person in a really, really meaningful way, but chose to remain single because you could, because you could live a life of self-control. What if you, in other words, what if you had a person in your life that you could partner with in a really beautiful nurturing, caring, even affectionate friendship, and you didn't feel the need or compulsion to go ahead and get married, what if you could honor God in a, in a way that, of being single and still be in a really beautiful relationship with someone? Interesting concept. It's interesting. Verse 39. This is the end of the, the chapter. He says, 
a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whomever she wishes, only in the Lord. In other words, it's important, you know, Christian-wise, if you remarry, um, that you remarry another Christ follower. He says, yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. So, okay, now this is... (laughs) This is such an anti-church talk. I love it so much. Hold on. Not anti-church, just, just, just counterculture in the church. This concept that what if, what if your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment in life was not in another person, but what if your greatest joy and your greatest fulfillment in life is in the passionate pursuit of God and leaning into his sufficiency for your life as a single person, as a single person. Now, I know everything you've been taught in every cartoon you've ever watched, in every TV show, in every episode of the Gilmore Girls, in every, every, everything you've ever seen in your whole life would tell you that maybe there's something higher, romantic love, that that's where you're going to find your greatest fulfillment. And yet Scripture says, could it be that God has designed you with, for something different? Now, obviously, this is not for everyone. And it's really easy for me as a married man to stand up and preach all this stuff. It's really easy for me to go, okay, well, I'm gonna... actually, it's not easy. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird to me, if I'm honest. Because I've bought into that kind of way of thinking, too. The problem with making your highest joy, and we say very loving, romantic things to our spouses and to the people that we're dating or engaged to or whatever. We say this kind of stuff all the time, like, you're my everything or, or you know, um, you know wh- whatever. All this kind of stuff. We just, we, we just wrap our whole existence into the lives of this other person. I would die without you and, you know, yada, yada, yada. That's all, that's all well and good to, to feel that deep sense of connection to another person. But be careful. Because sometimes our speech, and I'll I'll confess, I'm guilty of this with my wife. Sometimes our speech towards our wives in very well-meaning, very loving, very affectionate ways can lift that person to a pedestal that they cannot stand on. That they cannot stand on. And when you begin to focus your worship into another person, you place a burden on them that is too heavy to bear. And sometimes, I see this all the time, there's a lot of people that will come in to the church for for marriage counseling for lots of different reasons, and a lot of the times it has to do with unmet expectations. That You expect something out of your your, your spouse that they are having trouble giving to you. It goes either way, man or woman, it doesn't matter. You expect something out of them that they're, they're having trouble giving to you, that they can't meet this standard that you've set up for what a husband or what a wife should be, and it's because you have unwittingly, unknowingly, unintentionally made that person your God and that role is too heavy for them to bear. It will always crush them. Always. You're crushing them under your worship of them because we were never meant to be worshiped and we can't handle that role. And what we need to learn to do is to find that God is sufficient for all of our needs. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would really be curious to know how many people, you don't get don't raise your hand, how many people could say that they really and truly believe and live their lives as if they believe 
that God is sufficient for every area of their life. So I have a feeling that if you're like me and, and, and like, like the rest of us a lot of times, we put that pressure, that role that only God can feel on the lives of other people all the time. And this is where so many dysfunctional relationships come from. You pour your whole life into your spouse. You give and you give and you give and you give and you lift them so high, so high, so high. And when they don't fill every nook and cranny of your heart as actually only God can, you end up bitter towards them. Guess what? The same thing happens with your kids. You give and you pour and you lift up your kids so high, almost to the point of worshiping your own children. Your whole life revolves around them. And when they fail to give back to you what you have given to them, you end up bitter and these weird adult children relationships form. Now somebody's not coming around for Thanksgiving anymore. Because they are crushed under the weight of your worship of them. We cannot bear it. None of us is strong enough to bear that. And what if there was a better way? Now, again, I know this isn't for everyone. Paul, Paul concedes it's not for everyone. That there's some of you that, that it, God's plan and purpose for your life is to, is to marry and have a family and the whole thing. That, that's part of his good and, good and perfect plan for your life. But what if, just what if, you looked, for those of you, especially in the room that are still single, and for those of you who aren't but may be talking to somebody single someday, what if you would entertain the idea that rather than following kind of everyone in this culture's expectation of what you should be doing, what if you followed the pattern laid out by the Word of God and just prayerfully entertain the idea, God, could it be that my greatest joy would just be finding you completely sufficient for everything that I am and ever will be and that my greatest ministry to you could be if I was single? Paul's right. There are distractions that come with family life. Now, they're good distractions for the most part. They are good distractions. We've got four kids now. And every time we had another kid, life got more complicated. It got so complicated. Like, once we had four, like, for me, I just finally had to start helping. <laughs> no, it's Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, <laughs> It, it, but it's, it's, it's true that it just, as your family grows, as your responsibility, does anybody remember when you were single, for those of you who were married, remember when you were single? Remember you just, you rolled out of bed whenever you wanted to? If you wanted to go to the movies, you just, you just went? You didn't have to pack a bag and load up the trunk or anything like that, like you just went? You didn't have to look for a babysitter, you didn't have to organize, I mean, you didn't have to have a conversation about which movie you were going to see, it was just which, which one do you want to see? That's the one we're going to see. Right? That's whatever. It was, it was all about, like, when your life is all about you, um, or I should say, when, when there are no other responsibilities in your life other than you, things are pretty simple. Now, there's a trade off there, right? There's a trade off because there's a lot of fulfillment in a relationship with another person. There is something very fulfilling about that. You know, to some degree, uh, a lot of that loneliness uh, will disappear when you're in a relationship with another person. However, 
there are many of you who would raise your hand high and say, I still feel very lonely and I'm married. And I think that's a worse kind of loneliness than actually being single and lonely. A worse kind of loneliness. And all I want to say is, what if, what if God's good and beautiful and perfect and joyful and fulfilling plan for your life was not in leading you to another, but just simply in leading you, leading you to himself? Now, that said, married people, ask yourself that same question. People who hope to be married one day, the, the, the you know, not married yet crowd, ask yourself that same question. Because I think it's not that married or not that single people, you know, might get to live with God being all sufficient in their lives and married people do something different. I think Paul's challenge to us actually is that Christ be all in all to all of us. And when you well, here's the big point. Go ahead and put that. Oh, it's already up there. Christ is sufficient and the gospel is our highest purpose. Christ is sufficient. And the gospel is our highest purpose. And that goes for whether you're married or whether you're single. Married or single, it doesn't matter. Christ is sufficient for everything. And here's what I've come to know over the course of my years, and maybe some of you have come to realize this too, that when Christ is not sufficient for you, when you look to have your needs met by another human versus letting Christ be sufficient for, for, your, for, for your everything, then that marriage that you're hoping for and that you're praying for and that you, hope, that you think is going to be the greatest blessing in your life will be one of the biggest curses in your life because it will not be able to withstand the pressure of your worship. It just will not. And one of the most beautiful things, now let me, I'm just going to tell you my story. Everybody's story is different, so I, this is not prescriptive, it's just descriptive, right? You have a different story than I have. But this is the way it worked out for me, and it's the way I've, it's, I've seen it work for some other people, too. Um, Jamie and I dated in, in college for a couple of years, and, and, uh, and then we, we broke up for a couple of years. We kind of moved on, and I joined the military. She finished school and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. At some point, you know, while I was... Um, you know, outside of a relationship and in the military and, and, I, and loneliness and things would start to kind of creep in. And for whatever reason uh, or, or whatever way it actually happened, God kind of brought me through this process of, of bringing me to a point to where I could allow him to be sufficient for everything. And I actually reached a point where I no longer desired a romantic relationship. I no longer desired a marriage, or, and that used to be my highest ideal for myself. I honestly did not desire that stuff anymore. I, I felt great joy in the concept of Christ being sufficient for me and me not needing another person to fill any of the nooks and crannies of my heart that Christ could be all in all. And I, I took great joy in that. It was a peace um, that I had never felt before. And I really, I really felt like at that point, my relationship with Christ matured in a way that I, didn't even, I wasn't even really aware it could mature. And then shortly after that, um, Jamie and I started talking again. And the rest is history, right? We got back together, we got married, and 
Four kids later, I'm helping with the kids now, right? And so I, I tell that story to say this. I, for me, this is, this is my personal belief. I don't know if I have a scripture to back it up. I'm sure we could manipulate one to make it work, but I'm not going to do that this morning. Um, but for me, when Christ became all I needed, God blessed me with some of the things I had been wanting. Um, because I, I stopped idolizing those areas of my life that I was lifting up higher than God himself. And I began to just allow God to be the only one true God of my life. And when I was able to do that, when he became all I needed, he began to give me some of the things that my heart had desired. When I no longer really felt like I needed them anymore. I don't know how God will work in your life. I don't. But this is what I want to challenge you to do, especially if you're in the room and you're single. Prayerfully go to God and ask that God's will would be done. Not, will you bring me a husband? Will you bring me a wife? Just ask, God, allow your plan for me to take place in my life and allow me to find my joy in that plan. And as you do that, and as you begin to allow him to be completely sufficient for all of your needs, you're going to find this really beautiful transformation begin to take place in your heart where you'll go, um, I never knew I could feel this close to God. I never, I, I never knew I could feel so tightly knit to my Savior. And, and this, this, this transformative relationship will begin to take, take place in your life. And it's really, really beautiful. But for some of you, I'm just going to tell you right now, I know, I know what you're thinking. The idea of that scares the daylights out of you. I'm, that, I'm, am I, would I just be giving up? And it's because you have to retrain. We're new creations in Christ. And the way we think about life before Christ is different than the way we think about life after Christ. And you have to allow Christ to begin to rearrange the way you think about things and rearrange your priorities to where Christ and his gospel, everything centers around that. So likewise, if you're married and you begin to pray and you begin to ask God to, to be sufficient for all the needs in all the areas of your life, when you begin to pray that prayer, there's something really beautiful that will happen in, in those meaningful relationships in your life. Christ followers, if God has placed you with another, especially someone else who's, who's a Christ follower, he has placed you not in just this uh, fulfilling romantic relationship, he has placed you in what will be the highest calling of your marriage, which is a gospel partnership. In other words, we are a team. Two have become one. We are together in this, and God has a purpose, not just for me and not just for you, but for us together in his kingdom. A gospeling purpose, a purpose. This is why Paul is, it writes this whole passage is because he realizes there, do you guys understand the urgency of the gospel? 
This is not some sort of casual club that we're all a part of and we just come together because we enjoy a good song and, and, and a funny talk and, and we get to put our kids in a classroom for an hour or whatever. It's not, that's not what this is. This is us on mission collectively together for the purpose of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's not us, that's not, quit listening to the way the world talks about, that's not us like trying to change everybody in some sort of cult-like way or whatever. It is literally the answer to the problem of sin and humanity, and we have it, and shame on us if we don't share it. The most beautiful thing you can do for another human being is invite them in to a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's literally nothing more beautiful than that. Yes, dig wells. Yes, feed the hungry. Yes, build shelters. That's all great. Those are all arms of how we, how we get that gospel message out. But Christ is supreme because ultimately a well dug it never changed the heart of a person or a meal fed never changed the heart of a person. Only God and his Holy Spirit can get into the deep recesses of our life and do a kind of surgery that changes who we are and how we think and what we believe and how we behave. Only God, only Jesus Christ can do that. And the most beautiful thing that we can do is share the gospel. And God's purpose for your life in that gospeling work as we're all been invited into his kingdom, it doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter if you're single. Your primary goal in life, your highest purpose, is the gospel. It's not your marriage. It's not your parenting. Those things are important. I'm not saying they're not important. They're, those are a big deal especially parenting. Please do a good job parenting your kids, right? Those things are good and those things are beautiful. And yes, you're going to, if you have a wife, if you have a husband, you're going to pour into them in really good and beautiful ways. Yes, there will be romance and yes, it will be high at times. And yes, that, yes, and amen, all of that, right? But none of that is higher than the gospel. And none of that will fulfill you the way Jesus will fulfill you. And Paul is just saying, get it right. You've been called out of this world into a new kingdom. You've been changed from dead to alive. You're new creations in Christ. And the rules of the game have changed because you're a new creation in Christ. Romance is no longer the highest pursuit. Your highest pursuit, the pursuit that will give you the greatest joy of your life is just simply pursuing God. Pursuing God. So, my, my challenge this morning is just be a people who know the truth of that statement. Christ is sufficient for all my need. It's not fair for me to place that worship on someone else because it's, it's unfair to them. They can't handle it. And my highest purpose in my life, in my family, at work, at school, in my community, in my church, my highest purpose in life is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, you'll, and, when you, and here's, the good, here's the beautiful thing, is that when you prioritize that and get that order right, then the result of that most often is a good and beautiful marriage, a good and beautiful family, a good and beautiful career. Because God has a way of taking care of those who get those priorities right. 
There's, there's a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about how God is the God of our promotions. We don't have to backstab and everything else to get to where we want to be, that God will take care of those who are faithful. He'll take care of those who are faithful. So let's make him our highest purpose. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Pray this prayer with me that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, your word is good to us. And would you please uh, just forgive us when we build up idols in our life that, um, that threaten our worship to you. God, I know there's no, none of us in this room that ever in, intend on idolizing another person, especially not our spouses or uh, people we date or anything like that, God. Um, but help us to get real about how it is we actually behave and the expectations we put on those relationships. And if we are idolizing another, God, convict us of that and help us to, um, to place you in that that role of someone to be worshipped because you're the only one strong enough to handle it. God, for those in the room that are, are, are single or not yet married, God, I, I pray that you would just continue to unveil your plan for their lives. And I thank you so much for people who can find their, their greatest joy in you alone and in serving you alone. And the blessing they are to the kingdom. And, and shame on us for not acknowledging that more than we do. And so God, I pray for those that are single and not yet married, that you would just continue to, be, uh, to meet all of their needs, to be everything that they need from you. And if you bless them with a spouse, or if you bless them with singleness, regardless, help them to see the life that you've uh, directed for them as exactly that, a blessing. Give them a sense of purpose. God, for those of us in the room that are married, I pray that you would help us to stop worshiping each other and stop worshiping some idea of a perfect marriage or whatever else. Instead, center focused completely on you. Help us to find um, you as completely sufficient in our, in our lives and discover together as the two who have become one what your role for us is in your kingdom. We love you. Thank you for your word to us. Thank you for your servant, Paul, who gives us this word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.